talk to the band. And like a true professional, you brought one microphone. One microphone. <laughs> but they all passed it around the room, and it was really good, actually. Yeah, and you can sort of hear what you're asking in yeah. the background if you listen really closely. Yeah, so apologies for the listeners that don't know what we're talking about. Uh, so three members of our Army National Guard band are now doctors. Yeah, I mean, they're about to find out more yes. after this weird in- intro segment that we're doing right now yes and so uh i i brought one microphone like a true pa professional true and, pro um just kind of let them talk yeah, and yeah. uh you'll hear my questions very faintly in the background but uh it's uh it's good yeah but i think i guess the one thing we we should highlight uh that maybe they won't be able to hear as well is is the part where you identify the fact that you're an officer mm-hmm. in the national guard yes and you don't have your doctorate. I don't. And the three of them are a warrant and two uh, enlisted personnel. Yes. And they do. And how that's just pretty much how it is here in in the Guard. Yes, yes. It's not uncommon. No, not uncommon. Um, the responses are great. Yes. Uh, their comments are great. Very candid, too. Um, especially Chief Pearson. Um, so he's, enthusiastic. He's always enthusiastic. Yeah. Love him. Um but it, it's a it's a it was a fun interview. Yeah, I can't wait for everybody to hear it, including this intro. Including this intro, which is awesome. Yes. Um. Yeah. Uh. Also, um. I probably do my regular intro before this, too, just to be like, welcome to Raven Conversations. Raven Conversations. Uh. But also, I guess we can just mention that after the band uh, interview, you're gonna hear a little segment with uh connie osmer who is the wife of he's the 303rd squadron yes. commander yes the lieutenant, 303rd lieutenant squadron colonel commander. timothy osmer, osmer uh and connie osmer his wife uh recently was awarded the elizabeth dole fellowship for the state of washington and she sort of explains what that is yes and how it helps everyone yes for those that don't know about uh, Lieutenant Colonel Osmer, um, uh, it was the 2004 yes. uh, 81st Brigade deployment. Yes. He uh, was injured. Yep. When in he was a Cav Scout platoon yep. leader. Yes, he was injured. We bonded over this because my husband was also a Cav Scout platoon leader. And uh, had to had to come home. Yep. Um, but being the incredible uh, leader that he is. He went back. He went back. He went back. Iraq yeah, I know, I know. After we uh, talked about this, because it's crazy. After going through rehab, amazing. Um, and uh, it was it was Connie that helped him. Yep. Get back to his troops. Yeah, I mean she she really came through, and and that's what it, the the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is all about: military caregivers. And we explore that I think a little bit more in depth, so people can really understand that foundation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard, and look for the blue check mark so the band you know as 
historically been one of the most educated career fields in the military behind while right in line with the JAG Corps and the Medical Corps. And, uh, and recently we have had myself and two of our soldiers that have completed their PhD and two of us have completed our Doctor of Musical Arts degrees. Uh, and so I wanted to, I guess, point that out that we, we, have, we have brought the level of the education of the band to, an, to another level, shall we say. Uh, my degree is, it's a doctor of musical arts and wind conducting from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Doctor of musical arts and saxophone performance from the University of North Texas. And I'm a, a PhD, a doctor of philosophy and education. My specialization is training and performance improvement. So then on the civilian side, I don't know you're also a educator. Yep, right? yep. I'm a superintendent of a school district in Washington State. Which, yep. which school? Mapton School District. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, before that, I was a, a principal, and okay. before that, I was a band director. So, so, so. kind of all three <laughs> of you guys. Um, uh, so, what what tempted you to go get the go get the doctorate? Gosh, you know, <laughs> people ask me what what were you thinking. <laughs> I, I honestly don't don't know what I was thinking. It's it was crazy. No, it, you know, the I often have people ask me. You know, maybe I'm thinking about doing my doctorate. And my advice is, you know, it's not for everyone. You you go after it because you're passionate about something that you're wanting to learn. Um, you know, the perception that m someone just wants to be called doctor, that's, you probably won't make it if that's your only motivation. So, um, but you know, these two are amazing musicians, passionate about that, going all the way. Um, one of the things that's, you know, it's not a surprise to me that musicians go on to higher ed like this because we're just motivated by getting better all the time you know the first time we honked on our horns t tomorrow we wanted to be a little bit better and it's almost a, a, an addiction to us to get better and better and better so um so you know for me it was you know I, I was an educator i was both passionate about music but i was really fascinated by the idea of passing knowledge on to somebody and doing it in a way that motivates people motivates kids or adults to do the work um, to lead those systems that make that happen successfully so um yeah there's, there's, I'll pass this to you. <laughs> I think that me completing the doctorate this year has been kind of the culmination of, of a lifetime's worth of work. Um, you know, from when I, from when I first started uh, playing the clarinet and then went into the military uh, right after high school and then got out and, and went to Oberlin and, and did all those things like my, my, curiosity has never stopped and so and I always tell my high school students too it's if you're a curious person beware because you'll never be satisfied you'll never be satisfied you always want to like keep peeling the onion back and keep getting through the layers of, of everything and you know and it's funny because I, I've seen graphs of what it's like you know when you when your, your undergraduate degree is like the biggest circle on a bullseye and then the master's degree is 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 that but then the doctorate it's it's even more focalized what you study so you be, you go really really deep in what you're doing and so you know it's not that different than being a warrant officer in a lot of respects because everything about being a warrant officer is is going really deep in your field and not necessarily being that broad you know you're supposed to be the subject matter expert and so so for me when i um i started studying with uh 
a teacher who was a student of Nadia Boulanger, um, who was Aaron Copeland's teacher and was largely probably the greatest musicianship teacher of the 20th century. Um, and then one of her former students is the director of bands at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And so then that connection was made. Um, and he was also the protege of someone who I hold in really high regard, and that's that's uh, H. Robert Reynolds, who was the director of Vance at the University of Michigan for a very long time. And so when that connection happened, um, he called me one day and offered me his graduate teaching assistantship and said, hey, I want you to, to come. And so that was back in 2012 now, hard to believe, and then I've been working on my dissertation um, and again, I got really curious again about how acting relates to the training of musicians. And so then my whole dissertation was about using what actors train in and how to train conductors specifically, but ultimately, you know, how it how to train students and and music, music, you know, uh, music makers on, on how to convey things uh, specifically and to have kind of a method and a craft behind it. So. So it was really fun to finally actually go back and talk about it in front of my committee and defend the dissertation and talk about my methodology and all of that stuff. And, and again, that it's just a constant work in progress because this isn't, it's, it's never the end, even though it's considered a terminal degree. I don't consider anything about anything I've done to be terminal for that matter. It's just kind of let's, let's keep going, but at least, you know, we've, we've achieved this benchmark. So You're going to go back to teaching again. I am going back to teaching in the fall. Yeah. So. Uh, for me, it started out, uh, not, I don't want to throw a sad story here, but I did come from a broken home, and uh, music was just a great source of joy and distraction. So I spent a lot of time practicing and playing, and it laid some groundwork, one, for getting good enough to get scholarships to be able to get me out of the situation that I was in, and two, I did happen to like it, so it developed a, a great love. And I would say now at this point, n none of us do music. It is us. I mean, I don't mean for that to sound trite, but there is no there's no separation. Um, and then once I started down this road of trying to be a music educator and a performer, um, the, the ultimate goal of going somewhere like North Texas uh, was a no-brainer. To say that you have a music degree from North Texas is like saying you have a law degree from Harvard or Yale, or it's like saying you play football for Alabama or Oklahoma. Um, it's a it's a very prestigious and honorable thing to get to be a part of, but it's very 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 demanding, <laughs> and it's very difficult. And um, I, like my chief, would say, I, I'm I'm bent the same way. I don't. This is not. It's terminal, I guess. But I'm not. I've just started. I feel like I'm just now starting. I feel like I finally have enough information to actually do something important. Um, I always tell tell my students. I was a public school band director for ten years as well. And I always, sh when my seniors graduated, I shook their hand and I said, congratulations. And then I said, let this be the least of your accomplishments. And um, I want this to be the least of my accomplishments. I have more to do for the military. I have more to do for my public education system where I live in um, Spokane and Cheney. And I have more to do for myself as a performer. Um, I want to make a great impact for those that are around my compass. Um, and so I'm, I'm honored to have completed it, um, but l like I said, it's on, on to the next thing. Uh, what do you do on the program? Um, I'm instructor of music, professor of saxophone at Eastern Washington University. Thirty-three years. Twenty-five. Year I've been in the military twenty-five years now. As of this month, twenty years. 
how much of education benefits did the guard help with any of it or any from undergrad to master's to, to doctorate? I know for myself, <laughs> it, it paid everything on my undergrad and half of my master's degree. Well, so. a PhD adds up. And um, I remember the la last few times I've called the education counselors with BA and whatnot to, you know, figure out what what are po is possible. <laughs> a couple of times they w would get really quiet and say, wow, you've used everything. <laughs> so um, they were kind of impressed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if it was available, we used it. Um, you know, and I just happened to kind of, I don't know if you want to talk about this in your article, but I, I hit it not advantageous to me. I, I missed opportunities just because of the, the year I was looking for it. So um, now nowadays soldiers coming in, they get access to a whole lot more than I had available to me. So, um, yeah, so I, I encourage people to, to run with, you know, the kids that I teach and work with at, in my school district. You know, it's very, very easy to inspire them with that. But, um, yeah. Then 100% of my accomplishments and goals in life were only possible because of the support of the National Guard structure, whether it be just my regular salary, the supplies they provide me with, or the educational benefits. I wouldn't have been able to achieve anything, nothing, without the support of the National Guard system. I can say in a very similar fashion that since I left active duty in 1998 and joined the Air Guard first, it was... It has literally paid for almost everything that I've done. And, you know, and I've gotten to do so many incredible things. You know, back when I was in the Air Guard, I used to get called all the time by the active duty bands to go on tour and to do recordings um, as a clarinetist. And then when I took this job and I switched over to the Army, it was the same, you know, getting to do incredible things um doors open that would have never opened as if it wouldn't have been for that like when i was in the air guard you know my air guard band paid for my lessons with my musicianship teacher and my other clarinet teacher um i didn't need them to pay for college so much because i i was really fortunate and got pretty much a full ride to go to oberlin just on merit um but every other thing it was incredible the equipment everything like i just I can't say enough good stuff about what the guard has done for me. That's why I continue. Like I have 25 years and I could, I could go away tomorrow and, and I have no real interest in, in leaving service anytime in the near future. Cause it's just, it's been too good to me and I want to be as good to it as it has been to me. So I, I can't say enough good things about that. Yeah. You know, it was kind of cool to think about we, we were, I was talking to some friends the other day about back in college and they had worked here and uh, there and everywhere, but it was cool. I did not have to have an actual job in college because I, I went to music school and just down the road at that time I was in the air national guard in Spokane and I went to Eastern and there was always a gig to be done. You know, there was always work to do. So we were definitely not just regular M day soldiers as musicians in music school. We, if there was a change of command for anyone, I was raising my hand and going for it. So <laughs> it kept me it was it kept me just really focused you know yeah it was it was a really exciting time i would repeat college all over again in a heartbeat because it, it, you know it kept kept me going but yeah, the benefits yeah. that it has provided are yep. just you, you you simply cannot put a quantifiable amount on you know and then not to mention the fact that when you consider what this organization is in general with the 133rd Army Band is how many music educators we have and that basically every time we get together, it's a professional development situation like that we're actually, 
you know, bouncing off of ideas off of one another. And it improves our craft in the civilian world, not only in the guard, but actually out in the world, because, you know, everybody brings different strengths and different different skill sets with them here. And that's why we've actually been able to become a clock hour provider ourselves for music educators that are part of our organization, which are continuing ed credits that you need to in order to, you know, advance on the salary schedule and, you know, and maintain your certificate as a teacher is that we provide that now within our organization because of the level of professional development that happens in this organization. So, so a question for all three of you. I see two NCOs and a chief in front of me. And, uh, you know, there's always this disbelief that you go and get a, a college education, you have to be a commissioned officer. As a commissioned officer, I, I say I would never turn that around. I started as an NCO and I switched over halfway through. Um, but that's not the case. And I think you guys saying the same exact thing. You've got a lot of educators that probably have a lot of advanced degrees in the band. It's probably very similar. What would you tell those soldiers that are working on their degrees um, that maybe don't want to be officers, yeah. but they want to keep serving? Yeah, it's the days of the, the NCO just having the uh, high school diploma are long gone. And I, I tell young soldiers that if you even just do one enlistment and you get out of here without at least an AA, you are wrong. Because it's it, it, the opportunity, I mean, the credits, the training that we do within the Guard out, yeah. you know, um, the Air Force Community College or the Air Force back when yeah. we were there, yeah. you know, all there, and the Army has its its versions of that. You know, there's just a lot of opportunities. And if you're if you're going through that, it's a growing experience to begin with. But then you find that thing that you're into and just keep going with it, whether you want to be a firefighter or a cop or a teacher or biochemist, I don't know, whatever it is you want to do. But it, it is kind of cool to think about. We were talking about this earlier, all of the people that we've known in, in the band over, over our careers. I, I, I was thinking about one the other day. He, when you say we were talking about rocket science, and he looked at me square in the eye and said, well, actually, I am a rocket scientist. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and – he was a he was a, he, uh, no I don't think he was oh, well, an E5 I think he was an E3 yeah. at that time yeah I mean he's he's got top secret clearances building aerospace parts you know designing them in California, in California. Yeah. but I think I actually think he's still playing his clarinet in the California Air National Guard I, I believe think, I think that's true yeah. yeah he went to the University of Washington yeah. and he got his his degree in like aerospace yeah. engineering or astrophysics but one we've, of those two things we've got yeah. medical doctors here we got sure. um, you know the whole the whole gamut so it's it's kind of it's kind of fun um, but yeah the the NCO is a professional now you know which is that's becoming the norm I think it's really important to understand the old mentality that um, higher rank means, one, more success, or two, more importance. And um, I don't think there's any organization that isn't successful. Or if it's successful, it's because its lowest rank person, their importance and uh, effect on the unit is understood, supported, and appreciated by everybody. And I, I think we're really lucky. I think Chief Pearson would be the first person to say he doesn't do what he does because of the rank that he gets for it. It's because of the impact he gets to make. And I think everybody has to find for themselves then where they wish to make that impact. From him, it's a command position. For me, it's music related. Um, of course, I could have gone in and got a commission. I could have, uh, I've been in four units. I could fight and scrap to be a first sergeant. But 
my importance seems to be how I can affect my soldiers musically. And of course, that's a very powerful thing. And I can't do what I do if I don't have the E4 that can play the guitar really good to make it happen. So then it, the leadership, I, I think leadership's been um, switched now. I, and it should be. It used to be, um, look at all the perks I get. And now it's how much service can I provide? And I love that about today's army. And I say that every single leader we have is in a position of servitude. And, and of course, authority comes with that, but that's not their intent. Their intent is how can I help? How can I serve? So everybody needs to be in the position that they feel that they can do the most benefit for their community. And honestly, that's, that's exactly what I would say too. It's, you know, you, you have to be happy doing the job that you want to do. Otherwise, why would you want to be here? I remember when Colonel Abbott became the brigade commander and he made his first visit to the band and I was talking to him about the education level of the band. And he's like, why are these people not officers? And I'm like, well, sir, they want to be musicians. I'm like, that's, that's where they feel they serve best and they're happy. And I'm, you know, we rarely have a person that gets out with under 20 years of service here. I mean, when I hire people, I have to strongly consider, can I stand to be around this person for 20 years? <laughs> I mean, and that, that's a, I mean, it's, it's a reality because if, if they happen to be a toxic personality, which is rare, but it, it does happen, I mean, you can have that toxicity within the organization for a really long time, and it can take a lot of people with it, you know, because it's, it's like a cancer and it can spread. You know, I ultimately decided as a clarinetist, like I loved playing clarinet, but, I, but conducting became my passion. And so, you know, it was kind of a, a natural offshoot, and I wanted to advocate for players because I had worked for commanders that I did not feel were exactly the best advocates for what we did. And in fact, a lot of times they were largely responsible for a lot of the, pardon my French, ass pain that we endured in the organization because they didn't know how to effectively convey, you know, to the higher command, the importance and necessity of the band. And so, you know, that became my mission is that I wanted to be able to advocate on behalf of soldiers so that they could actually go and do awesome things. Just like what he was talking about is like, you know, you want all of those people that are able to do, you know, their best work. And I mean, and, and some of our E4s, I mean, we, we, in our organization, it's not based really so much on rank um, as it is, you know, on ability. And we have such amazing people that are in this organization. Like, it's, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches most of the time, the quality of people that we have, not just as musicians, but as human beings and what they bring to the table and what they go out and do in their community. And, and I think that's the greatest part about being in the National Guard is that you still get to go do all of those things while wearing uniform and serving on a part-time basis. Anything else you guys want to add? Or? I'm just, uh, congratulations to you guys. And, yeah, and um, <laughs> I'm, I mean, like, like you said, you alluded to this, but it's just the start, you know, and the whole time when I was doing my research, my, my committee chair kept saying, you're a baby researcher. This is your first time. And when we were done, she she reminded me of the of the saying, "We stand on the shoulders of giants." And I didn't really understand what that meant, but really, what that means is it's a charge to us to continue our research, continue our work, and add to the pool of knowledge that's forever in the world. So, um, high five to you guys. It's yeah, pretty awesome. So, yep, feels good. We're we all feel a lot lighter today oh than we did last month. So. <laughs> I appreciate the
Washington is earthquake country. Are you prepared? Earthquakes can create a series of big waves called tsunamis. Do you know your evacuation routes or how long it takes for you to reach high ground safely? Learn how to protect yourself from a tsunami. Check with your local emergency manager or visit mil.wa.gov tsunami. Before disaster strikes, get two weeks ready. Make a plan. Build a kit. Become involved. Be a preparedness champion. Okay, hello. My name is Connie Osmer. I am a military spouse, um, at least for the last 30 years, and I am an Elizabeth Dole Fellow. And then what is an Elizabeth Dole Fellow? An Elizabeth Dole Fellow is someone who is selected. There was one selected per state. I am the, um, the selection for Washington State. And a fellow is somebody who is an advocate for the foundation, which focuses on the military caregiver. Okay. Uh, and then what, what does the foundation do? Like, how is it supportive of the military caregiver? Right. The foundation is um, geared towards military caregivers and uh, at some point. So how Elizabeth Dole got involved is that uh, Senator, Dole, her husband, Bob Dole, was hospitalized at Walter Reed yep. in D.C., and she saw a need for support for military caregivers. So she um, commissioned a RAND study to find out what caregivers needed. And they found out in 2012, I think there was 14 or no, 5.5 uh, million caregivers okay. um, supporting military members. And it was about 14 million in, or no, 14 billion in, in health care that they were providing for their for their soldiers, so she saw this need um, to support these um, popul this population that right. wasn't getting possibly support, and uh, they created a program. One of the programs they have many programs uh, of support, but uh, one of the main programs is this fellows program, where they select somebody from a state, and I'm the selection from Washington State, to go out and advocate for military caregivers and promote the foundation and other things like um, trying to get military caregivers to self-select to say hey I'm a military caregiver I might need some support right and it, and the level of support that you need obviously would change and based on your situation right I mean that's the first step right saying you need help it's hard for a military spouse to say they need help it's very hard for <laughs> spouses of any kind or or even parents or children yeah. or anybody to say that they need help because you want us you f you think that supporting your soldier is just part of your job but right um, self-selection is is the first step <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to actualize that you need help um, yes. cool and then how has this like how did what was the steps for the fellowship like what did you have to do and then what what does that come with being the fellow you have to apply um i well to give you just a little bit why would i apply let me right. back up just a little bit um in uh 2004 my husband was wounded in a um in iraq and he was involved in a, a ied and uh, we flew to in that that situation he unfortunately he lost his gunner and he had um, one of his vertebrae in his back had burst right and then he had some other minor wounds like battery acid that kind of thing and they flew me to Ger uh, Germany to be with him so be I basically that's what started my caregiver right experience 
during that time, uh, the kind of unique part of that is that when Tim came back, uh, he wanted to stay in the military. He really did not want that to kick him out. So he fought really hard, and we, we fought really hard <laughs> to make that happen. Yeah. And um, in January, he went back to Iraq. And the Tacoma News Tribune at the time wanted to do a story on it. And Tim and I went back and forth and said, do we, do we, do we not? Right. <laughs> and uh, we decided, all right, we'll do it. So after that story ran, a woman contacted me. She reached out to me and said, uh, we're not affiliated with the military whatsoever. But my husband, who's an el elderly gentleman, just had a fusion on his back, and he was really having a hard time, very demotivated. And he said he, you know, he read your husband's story, and he was so affected by that story, and it really helped. Right. When that happened, it made me realize how important telling your story is. And so I, at that time, I thought, you know, I'm, at some point, I'm going to find a way to help other people that were in my same situation. And over time, uh, you know, uh, I had kids to raise. I had a, another deployment to go through. I had other things going on. And then I don't know how it happened, but, you know, years later, I saw somehow right. um, an advertisement for the Elizabeth Dole. They were taking applications. So you do have to, and I, so I read there what they're about, and I thought, oh, my goodness, this is what I've been waiting for. Right. I applied. There's an application process. You um, have to do... Um, quite a bit, um, but you once the application process is done, then they do the selection, which included some interviews, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was selected. Awesome. And then so what what happens after you're selected? What happens now that you're a fellow? Now that I'm a fellow, you serve a two-year term. And during that t term, you really focus on advocacy for the foundation and ad advocacy for caregivers. So that's my main purpose is to get the word out about the foundation because one of the things that they have, uh, two things right now at least that I, I love, is they have a, a Facebook group for caregivers and um, that's a quick way for caregivers just to reach out and say, hey, I need help right now. And you, there's just this network of people that right. know exactly what you went through or some version of it. Or, and they might know a resource that you don't know that, that there might not be out there. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then they also have vetted resources that specifically focus on caregivers. We In the military, we have a lot of resources here for the soldier. But you don't find that many for the, the family. I mean, you, have, you do have resources. Right. But these are specifically for military caregivers. Yeah. And um, so the, I always try and promote the website that it's hiddenheroes.org because that's where military caregivers can go and and um, as a first step in what they want to awesome accomplish well that sounds really cool yeah yeah uh is there any other thing that um you've learned since becoming a fellow that you didn't maybe know well, I've only been a fellow for a few months. Right. <laughs> so the, the Elizabeth Dole Foundation, they do a lot more. They work, you know, on policy. They do, they have a lot of different initiatives as well. Um, so there's a lot I don't know yet uh, since it's only been a few months. But I think what I've learned so far is that there is this community that I wish I'd had years ago, of course, when I was going through everything that I'd gone through. Um, and still to this day go through. Uh, we still deal with pain, uh, back pain, all of right. that kind of things. And, and uh, a lot of times with 
uh, a soldier being wounded, it doesn't have to be a, a, a wound that you can see. It can be a hidden wound. So there are caregivers out there that just don't know that they're caregivers. Um, but what I've learned, I think, over time is just to ask for help. Yeah. And they ha and I through this community of people that I've been through and, and we've been going through training and things like that, everybody has unique situations, different types of wounds, that kind of thing. But there's more commonality than you think. And you can, if you put in your, if, if I'm on the Facebook page and I put in, you know, uh, even a you can do it or, you know, I've been there. Right. It means so much. Personally, it means so much when somebody says that to you and you can talk to somebody about it. Yeah. That is probably what I have learned or at least been it exposed to I think over the years I knew I had to ask for help if I could and right. I was very fortunate to have a, a employer that is was uh, conducive and, and allowed me to work from home for a while because at the when he was wounded my kids were two and four right and that was a <laughs> and, I, and that was a handful <laughs> him Sounds and my kids super easy I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah it was it was quite quite a challenge um, but that I think is what I've learned so far or that I've been I've enjoyed helping other people and just knowing right. that because like I was saying I had great resources back then as far as people that cared about me and wanted to help us but the military because my husband's unit was deployed a lot of his yes resources were gone and um, I had friends but at the time uh, because of the National Guard especially there were not a lot of it was the first deployment Right. There weren't a lot of people that actually had been wounded or had that right. experience. So I was very alone at the time. And um, it it's a little bit different when you are a caregiver as opposed to just a military spouse. Yes. I mean, that's a lot more to deal with. I yes. mean, being a military spouse already comes with its own basket of, <laughs> of fun. It's not fun. It's... Um, Challenge, challenges, <laughs> sometimes fun. I yeah, I, the military's been great to us. I love. I am a, a military spouse to the bone, and it's been good to us. And obviously, I have had my challenges over yes. the years, but in general, yeah, I, I've always been a huge supporter. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Um, has your husband always been in the National Guard? No, no. When we got married, he was active duty. Okay. And uh, he was in Fort Benning, Georgia. Well, he, when he first got in the military, yeah. he was in Germany for two years. Okay. Then he was in Georgia for two years. Yes. And then at that time, he was deciding to, his next duty station would have been, ironically, Korea, which was a hardship tour at the time. Right. And he said at the time, I just don't want to leave you. <laughs> so <laughs> Little did later, he know. Exactly. Years <laughs> later, I think, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You've left a lot, but that's, that's <laughs> funny. Yeah, so he's been in the guard ever since then. So we okay. moved, we moved back home, which is Yakima, and okay. then he uh, joined the guard, and we did college and that kind of thing. And so that's one of the things I was going to say is him being in the guard and your family yes. being from here. I think helps maybe you realize like you're maybe not as isolated as some spouses who are also military caregivers or whoever the military caregiver might be. And then that you're sharing your story helps them and reassures them maybe when they're not surrounded by that same community. Yes. 
right? Yes. In particularly, yes. That And that uh, actually, I don't know this for sure, but I know that um, I'm one of the first National Guard fellows. Right. Uh, because it's a community that is dispersed, like you yes. said, and there are people all over the state, all over the country that don't have access to bases, yeah. don't have access to military military resources, yeah. and, and we're just a, a different population of the military. Yeah. And I dealt with that a lot on his first deployment. I was the battalion family readiness group okay. leader. So I dealt with families all over the state of Washington, and it, it, it's exactly what you were just saying. Some lived in little teeny towns out in the middle right. of nowhere. They didn't have access to any of that. So uh, that's why I think getting the word out and getting resources to people that might need it yes. is a is a good thing for the for me to try and do for the foundation. Right. That's great. I wish I could express that to everyone who I want to give interviews and talk to <laughs> on camera like you don't understand your story could be impacting somebody yes anybody yes, yes and that the Tacoma News Tribune yes. story that really affected me I remembered it for so long and and I've always since he's our experience um I I stayed at the Fisher House while I was in Germany okay. for that almost three weeks yeah. and that was a godsend to me because I would have a place to sleep. Right. There was always food there. Right. And I'd had internet and I had a friend that would send me these long emails about self-care. And you know, that is one of the the focuses of the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is respite care and right. for us to take care of ourselves. Yes. And that was very clear to me at the time because I would read her emails and I would cry and cry and cry and cry. The next day I would be ready to go again and, yeah. and be that strength that my husband needed. And it's so important for that for you to take care of yourself right and that really showed me that you had to do that but anyways my focus on the fisher house right. is that now since that time i've always tried to give back to the fisher house here at yes. jblm because they in germany they took good such care of me and i know they do such wonderful things there so i brought meals yeah. i've tried to do some donations for them and I always think it's really important to give back to those people that for sure that and support anyone you. listening should definitely help out the Fisher House yes. if they're <laughs> local to JBLM they're so amazing and I think they actually yeah. have more than one house they do I think they have two I now think they have two I don't know when but I now think they have two. on JBLM yeah but what a great organization it is it is it yeah. they they saved me I it was so because then the one in Germany is across the street from the hospital. Yes. It was close. I think the one here is somewhere in the loop around Madigan. Yes. I know there's one that's I right by the hospital. I know there's one that's right Actually, there. I and I think the second one is is also on that loop that goes around. Yeah. I could be lying. Yeah, they're close. It's I know close, they're close because yeah. I know they want to make it as convenient as possible yes. for the families that yes. have to use them. And it was. It, yeah. it was. The fact that I had internet, I had a little bit of connection to right. home and food. <laughs> that yeah. was huge because a lot of times I wouldn't eat and Especially I'd get Especially in 2004. <laughs> yes, in 2004. <laughs> I'm yes. trying to remember 2004, <laughs> like dial-up internet, like the fact that you had <laughs> – access to internet at all I feel like yeah that's a huge plus yes being so it was. far away from home yeah. it was yeah awesome well is there anything else you'd like to say I would just like to say that if anybody's interested in 
finding out more information, but they did um, studies. The thing I like about the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is that they, they're trying to do it um, fact-based. Right. So that the RAND study has done a couple of different studies about the military caregiver, and now they're doing one, uh, not the RAND, but I know the Elizabeth Dole Foundation is doing um, some work around children. Uh, yeah, and so they're so doing important. yeah they're doing such great work and there's different ways to get involved of course they're a, a nonprofit organization so of course they take donations as well but for military they have doing so much other stuff so just if you go to the website hiddenheroes.org you'll find out what they're doing a lot more yeah. <laughs> information than what I could tell you right here and you'll you'll be able to see all of the fellows that were chosen this year and you can read all of our bios there's so many good stories in there of of military caregivers um, and then for a military caregiver that has not said well I'm not a I'm not a caregiver you know just go to the website and and look yeah. at it and see if you want to be um, part of the Facebook page because you'll right. you'll get support and you'll see some organizations that are doing work specifically for you that's what I would recommend yeah and I'll make sure to put that website too in our show notes so it's clickable oh um, perfect for anyone who goes to the podcast in one of the like five ways that you can get to it (laughs) sounds good yeah uh well thank you so much for coming to talk about it I think it's so important I'm a military spouse as well as a member of the reserve and a civilian that works for (laughs) the military so I really bridge a gap here uh in our office I feel like I I wear many hats when we we talk about things public affairs wise, but I um, bet I bet it's so interesting to meet other spouses that have dealt with so many um, issues in their their spouse life. Well, okay, um, is there anything else? Did we miss anything? No. <laughs> Not that I can think of. Awesome. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, you too. Thank, thank you, you for driving all the way out here. Oh, thank you. I would have loved to have come to Bonnie Lake. <laughs> I thought of that afterwards. <laughs> I thought, you know, she probably doesn't leave very often. She probably wanted to come to me. <laughs> and then, uh, one time we did a podcast with uh, Major Derry, and he works at uh, Google. Oh, you're like, yeah, let's go. And we went, we did, we <laughs> went to Google. We were like, we can totally come up there <laughs> yeah, we'll and interview there. you. Please, that's, please. that's completely fine. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. Really cool. I mean, I would have gone to my